You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a lot to talk about today. Mm. I'm going to uh, steal from what I said on Instant Analysis. You never know how a team's going to play on a Saturday after their head coach gets fired on a Monday, week three, but I don't think any of us expected what we saw on Saturday, so we'll break it down. Let's talk about Dante Williams' Sunday night presser. We got some more information, and we'll have to dig into that, especially about USC's quarterback situation. And then we'll talk about Jackson Dart's debut, his, his collegiate debut. It was an interesting day for sure, and we saw what we've seen from him in spring camp and fall camp, so we'll dive into that. As a reminder, wherever you are watching, whether it is Facebook, Peristyle, or Peristyle, Periscope, or YouTube, for your comments, questions, concerns, and we will answer them. We love hearing from you guys. Then also you can tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. No calls today, sorry guys, but we had a little issue there, so we're just taking your questions digitally today. Uh, but like I said, Shotgun, you and I were there. We saw it live and in person. So Ryan, we haven't actually gotten your thoughts yet on mm. Saturday's game and I waited. I wanted to pick your brain live on air. So yes. first off, Ryan, your overall thoughts. What did you think of Saturday? Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, if, I don't want to say like a bad made-for-TV movie, but one of those things where it's like everything's going against you and it just doesn't seem like it's going to work out. Oh, it's 14 nothing, And then all of a sudden it's just like everything clicks and it's like boom. And uh, oh, and throw in the backup quarterback thing, which is, you know, the probably the most popular guy in sports always the backup quarterback is always very popular and when he comes in and does a great job very popular today very popular yes we're gonna get into a lot of that stuff uh yeah i mean i think you know we we titled it i mean it was an amazing debut for dante williams as the interim head coach and obviously jackson dart the the freshman quarterback showed that he can play division one football sometimes you get a freshman you know i mean you're coming out of high school you just don't know if they're going to make that transition and be able to be on a big stage and play college football. I think Jackson Dart showed he's certainly capable of doing that because we got to see uh, some amazing stuff from him. The gunslinger mentality that you guys have talked about, everyone's talked about, where there's going to be some good and some bad turnovers and such, but there was also a lot of good, and he made things happen. And there's a you know Sam Darnold sort of feel a little bit where if a play breaks down, he can do things with his legs and, and, and make things happen. And I think that's what a lot of people... Uh, really like about him. Um, you know, sometimes you can just overcome a bad play or a bad play call or a bad, you know, offensive line blocks or whatever just because you're mobile. So it's sort of like an eraser of take care of things like, oh, I can fix this by just being mobile and, and running around. So, um, yeah, I think for Dante Williams, 
you wanted to see, and we didn't know, like you said, like it was going to be rainy. It was crappy up there. You know, the planes like tipped over. Like there's all kinds of weird stuff that was going on on this trip up to the Palouse. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a long trip to get all the way up there. But the guys, you know, after looking a little, I don't know, maybe they were pressing a little bit like Dante Williams said after the game, everyone seemed to settle down and they made a couple of big plays that sort of sparked this team and got some momentum. And, you know, we hadn't seen some of those explosive plays in the offense. So when it's fourth and nine and you connect on a 38-yard bomb to, to Gary Bryant Jr. and he gets involved and Dart's involved and then the team's involved and then, you know, you get goal line stands and all like all this stuff was going on and it just sort of like fed off each other. So it's just having a new, you know, a fresh look. It's just like getting a haircut sometimes. You're just like, I just feel better. I just got a haircut. Like USC got a haircut, right? I don't know like, anything about that. <laughs> yeah, you haven't had one of those in a while. USC got a haircut, like, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on. There was some baggage there with, with Clay Helton. And the, even though players would support him a lot, it's sort of like a late weight off their shoulder too, where they didn't have to hear about it. And all their friends standing like, oh, your coach is terrible and blah, blah. Well, they didn't have to hear that now. They're like, what's Dante Williams like? Now they can hear, hey, what's Jackson Dart like? Um, so I feel like USC sort of needed a shot in the arm, even though it was only two games in. It's sort of been like year after year after year. And it didn't look like they were going to get it until the game started. And then, obviously, they did once that uh, second quarter started rolling in. USC just rattled off a whole bunch of points, 45 straight, and uh, just crushed Washington State. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we got to talk to Dante Williams uh, just an hour ago for the Sunday night press conference. He And I put this disclaimer on instant analysis. He is not as forthcoming as Clay Helton was when it comes to injuries. His basic response is, oh, he'll play, he'll practice in practice this week. That's kind of what he says, but then it, it doesn't always end up that way because he said that Nick Figueroa would be able to play and then he wasn't even dressed out for Saturday's game. So something to watch for there. But he did say that Keen, he expects Keenan Slovis to play uh, in practice this week. He said that x-rays and an MRI came back negative, but he still has some some issues with his neck. I know, Shotgun, you got to talk to Keaton briefly after the game, and it seemed like that was still a struggle for him. Yeah, I, ca I caught up with him a little bit, and he was struggling to turn in his neck at all. So I, I want to go ahead and state everyone that was making something of the way his appearance on the sideline and, you know, that, you know, he was seeing his job evaporate and, you know, there's the look of frustration or whatever. He had a neck, neck injury where it was serious enough where they went and had x-rays on it. And an MRI. Yeah, like serious neck injury. He couldn't move his you know, head. He basically, it, it, this was his movement. Like this was as far as he could go, which is why he tried warming up. Um, and, and basically he couldn't, you know, turn his head to throw, to see his target and throw exactly where he wanted to go. So that's part of the reason. So it wasn't like it was a little tiny ding and they were just like, let's throw a dart in and go with him. You know, it, it was something that, you know, that's a scary situation. So, you, you know, if you see him on the sideline and, you know, the way his appearance makes you think of something, he's reacting to Dart. I think it's more that you have a scary injury and you're, you're going to be on the sideline. You're not going to be, it's going to be a little bit frightful to, to begin with. So take that in consideration before you, you take some of those screenshots and go and, you know, start making fun of it or anything when, when a player has a neck injury. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's calm down a little bit with that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I chatted with him. He said he was going to have, you know, the MRI. He's going to have a couple of more tests when he came back to to Los Angeles. Had some X-rays during it. Everything came back negative there. Dante Williams told us today that the MRIs came back negative. That's a great sign. Hopefully, it's just you know kind of got it wrenched, and it takes you know a little bit to to work it out, get some massaging and, and whatnot. Uh, like you wake up on the you know on, with a bad stiff neck or something. Hopefully, it's just that, and he'll be back and be ready to go. And, and we'll see how he progresses because that'll tell you uh, you know that could be a, a, the big difference maker in this quarterback competition that there's going to be, and you know this this big debate that everyone's having right now is you know who they should start. If he can't move his neck, well, he's not going to play. 
Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, you know, and I told Keely, I really, you know, I, I would, I would think it would be hilarious actually, if it was chaos theory and, you know, Jackson Dart, his knee injury, for some reason, he can't go this week. And then Miller Moss has to start. Both those guys are out. Miller Moss starts, and he throws five or six touchdowns <laughs> against Oregon State, and everyone's healthy next week. Then what do you do? <laughs> now yeah. you got three quarterbacks in the competition. This is the conversation we were having at, like, midnight driving to Spokane. <laughs> yeah, in the rain. Yeah. yeah. He got one play. Yeah. Um, I know. It's it's definitely a weird situation. And like I said – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Keely. No, I was just going to read the, the exact quote from Dante okay. uh, from an hour ago. He said, yes, I expect Keaton to play – or excuse me, to practice Monday and continue to get better. He got some x-rays and an MRI – MRI and it came back negative so I expect him to be out there as soon as possible and you know join the quarterback battle and when he said battle everyone kind of like their ears perked a little bit so he was asked to follow up well what do you mean by quarterback battle and he said um, I mean me personally being the head coach I approach everything as a battle I think part of why people don't succeed and develop is because they get complacent that's not just at the quarterback that's at every position I want to make sure guys are never complacent you get too comfortable you start to realize practice maybe isn't that important to you and you start to look forward to Saturday and the game I want to make sure these guys look forward to practice and continue to get better and develop every day so this is something we Chuck and I were talking about on instant this is not something new for Dante Williams. This is how he approached the cornerback position. Uh, if we talked to Chris Steele or ITS ever about, oh, who's going to play opposite of you? He would always, they would always go, well, I don't have a starting spot. That's not guaranteed. So that's just kind of Dante's mindset. But Ryan, how do you weigh these comments with what we saw on Saturday? And it, yeah. it seems like at the very least, uh, Dante is making this a, a unknown variable for Oregon State because he said he wa they want to uh, make this decision as late as possible to, to bring some trouble for Oregon State. So at the very least, it could be just a competitive advantage type of thing. Yeah, for sure. He did mention that. And it's like, it's not our problem. It's, you know, it could be Oregon State's problem, which, you know, you're preparing for Jackson Dart or Keaton Slovis. Certainly, this is something, it's an interesting wrinkle that Dante Williams is throwing into this and you know the battle that's going on at at every position who's going to win out i think the the question came up about splitting reps in practice and he said they just split reps anyway but there's a clear number one and a clear number two mm -hmm. when we watch practice so when we go on tuesday i guess we'll get to see you know maybe they do it different maybe they're going to share time with the first team but there's only so much you know the, the second team offensive line has to come in sometimes so are you going to have both you know quarterbacks playing with the second team offensive line uh, sometimes. So I think that's going to be, you know, interesting. And, um, you know, how are they going to split that up? But definitely saying that, well, you know, Oregon State's not going to know who the starting quarterback is, I think is something that, hey, you can have some kind of competitive advantage or disadvantage by doing this. But we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see how they end up practicing this week. But it's, it's, it, it's made things very much more interesting, I guess, going into this, because everyone, you know, just assume, you know, Keaton was on Heisman watch list and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, now a lot of the fans are clamoring for Jackson Dart to start. Yeah. I mean, uh, Shotgun, what are your thoughts on how this goes going forward? Do you think that, that Keaton will be able to practice? Or if he doesn't, you think he still gets the start because he has the most experience? I mean, it starts with him being able to practice first. But if he is able to practice, I think they will eventually go with Keaton Slovis. Um, you, you know, you have to look at everything, not just the performance of Jackson Dart. Uh, the touchdown passes of seven yards, twenty-two yards, four yards, two yards, thirty-five yards—you know—that's impressive, right? That was Keaton Slovis against Washington State last year. Yeah. I, I don't know if everybody forgot USC demolished Washington State last year. So who's to say Keaton Slovis wouldn't have done the same thing in this game? Yeah. Now the one thing, the one big difference 
is that I think that Jackson Dart played with a lot more confidence in this game. And yeah. You saw that from when he made the turnovers, he was able to bounce back from it. Yeah, And that's something that we haven't seen from Keaton Slovis since the beginning of the 2020 season, except those late drives in the fourth quarter. And that's something we still haven't, you know, we'll see if it comes to, uh, to him. Uh, he did play fine after the, the pick six against Stanford, a little too late, and obviously you're playing against some backups. So that's the big question mark But there. But the, could Keaton Slovis throw that ball to a wide-open Gary Bryant? Yes. Yeah. Could Keaton Slovis throw the ball to a wide-open Gary Bryant on the two-yard play? Yes. Could he throw it up to Drake London over the middle? Yes. Like it, It's not like they were these amazing throws that Keaton Slovis couldn't make. Now, what Jackson Dart did that Keaton Slovis is not you know known for – is avoiding the rush, and that goes back. To the offensive line was not good in this game. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's a big issue. They've got to get that figured out because I think they struggled. You know, not necessarily with just blocking guys. They did a little bit. Jonah Monheim struggled on the right tackle, and they re- replaced him with J- Jalen McKenzie, which is great that you have the depth that you can yeah. do that and put a guy in there, former starter in there, and yeah. it worked a lot better for them in the second half. But they got to do a better job of identifying where the pressures were coming from. They struggled some with some stunts and twists early in the game. They made some adjustments there, but it took a little bit too long for that. Uh, but that's a, a big issue, I think, a bigger concern going forward. Not as concerned about the run game because it's the same thing with, the, with Washington State last year. They really sold out uh, to stop, stop, the run, stop yeah. the run and put pressure on the quarterback. They brought six, seven guys at times and, and you know were able to get pressure there. And the problem was there were a couple times there were free runners because USC didn't identify it correctly and you know shift the, the blocking. But that was man-to-man coverage, and that's what USC demolished them on last year. I'm on Ross St. Brown with four touchdowns in the first quarter, um, and I think that's similar to what they did in this game. It demolished them on that as well. I think the one thing that Dante Williams said about this was, and it kind of makes you, we talked about some similarities. Uh, you know, Shotgun mentioned like Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. I mentioned Sam Darnold and Max Brown. Was that the plan was to play Jackson Dart in this game mm-hmm. and to get him yep. packages if it was third and short or goal line or whatever, use his athleticism. We saw that early on with the Sam, you know, before they started Sam Darnold when yep. Max Brown was playing, that was the plan kind of going in. And it was sort of like this, um, you know, it was like a transition period. Like it's to me when they were doing that with Sam Darnold because they wanted to transition to him. Does that mean Dante Williams wants to transition to Jackson Dart? I don't know. But the fact that they were going to play him healthy or not for Keen Slovis, I mean, I personally agree with you. I think, you know, Keen Slovis has been your starter. It's not like the same thing people said, like when Keen Slovis came in and JT Daniels, I'm like, JT Daniels would have been successful in that offense too. And obviously he's having success. People are like, Daniels was terrible. Look at Slovis. I'm like, no, he would have been good in the same system. Like it's just, you got to compare apples to apples. And like you said, Keen Slovis did great last year. I think Keen Slovis is still a really good quarterback. And this might light a fire under him with the competition thing. If he is complacent, like Dante Williams talked about, I don't think he's going to be able to be, now, but just the fact that Dante Williams said, "Hey, we're gonna we were gonna put some packages in for Dart," tells me, I don't know, maybe they're thinking about a transition. So, well, this is gonna be interesting. The, the the thing is, it's not like they were saying we're gonna get Dart a couple series. That would be much more, you know, quarterback controversy there yeah. than having a package in there because Dart does something different. And you can run, you know, you run a jet sweep with Drake London and it's a read option with him. That was his first play. And he picks up 18 yards because everybody's paying attention to Drake London. Um, so I, I think and you can incorporate guys like Gary Bryant and, and do some different things where you're just focused on 
you know, multiple things, whereas Keaton Slovis is not that guy that's going to run. Now, he's kept it a couple times on, on the read option this year uh, more than he has in the past, and USC's also done stuff like the quarterback sneak and being under center. They've yeah. had some wrinkles in there. They had some wrinkles in this game. I thought that the play calling got progressively better as the game went along, and there were wide-open guys. Gary yeah. Bryant Jr., that was a very nice play. It was designed with you know Drake London uh, taking all the attention. He runs an in-route, brings up a guy, instead of him playing a little bit deeper. So they were saying, hey, if they don't cover Drake London, we'll throw the underneath route and get the first down. If they do come up on him, we're going to go top. over the top. Yeah. And if there was a safety that could have come over the top on Gary Bryant, and if he did – Taj Washington was wide open on the other side. That's where the safety had to go. And so that was a great play call there. So give credit there to Graham Harrell. There, there were some wrinkles in there. The the, the speed, uh, the the pre-snap speed run by, by Gary Bryant and switching directions and wide open to walk in using the speed. So those were things that we'd seen couple of hints of that stuff in, in spring and fall camp and you know we, we got an opportunity to see it in the game and that's stuff they've been saving for that type of situation for that Gary Bryant that, that ended up being a what three yard run I think because it was a yeah, backward, it was like pass. A backward thing. so you know those are things and that's what you can do in that Jackson Dart package there, there's going to be special plays that you keep that you're waiting for a short yardage situation or a red zone opportunity like that because you want to get it in and that was one of the things I talked to Graham Harrell one on one and he said one of the biggest differences getting in the end zone Instead of kicking field goals, he says that changes the whole complexion of the game, and that's something they were able to do. And you, you know, part of it was the help of a you know a, a, a phantom roughing the passer call. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then on third down, finding Drake London, and you know, on a slant pass. So they did a lot of things better after they got out of that funk early. And talking with Graham Harrell, talking with a couple of players. Everyone said that maybe they're just trying a little bit too hard. Graham Harrell said they were trying to be perfect, and I think that's that's a fear coming off of you know a big switch like they had during the during the week of the head coach uh, firing. So uh, they finally settled in. Dart settled in as well. You know the two early turnovers settled in and was able to go make plays. And you know they made a lot of plays after after that big fourth and nine play. Yeah, mm -hmm. offense and defense. Dante was asked about if he would entertain the thought of a two-quarterback system, and he basically said whatever helps the team win, he will entertain. Is that just coach speak? Because I feel like sometimes uh, the mentions in my Twitter were – USC fans were very hesitant to give the okay for a two-quarterback system. I think it was coach speak, but okay. I mean they would play dart. and Like if, say, Slovis just comes back, he starts again. Uh, I could see them using, that's third and one, and here comes Dart. And, like, now there's other things that could happen. And when they fake the handoff, like, Dart might keep it. So you have to, like, account for him. I think they could definitely do stuff like that. I don't know if there would be, like, an alternating series or you get the first quarter, you get the second quarter. I, I mean, yeah, I, this just hasn't worked very well before. And, and I don't think you're keeping – Yeah, yeah I, I don't think you're going to keep anyone happy by doing that. Like, yeah. is Dart going to be happy, like, getting some extra work? May Like, not really. He'd rather start. And then, obviously, Slovis wouldn't be happy – um, so I think you either have to like, yeah, you pick one or the other, but having you know. a, a package, a dart package is, is not a two quarterback system in my mind. Right. That's like having a wildcat package. Like you don't go, Oh, they got two quarterbacks now because Trey Madden was taking the snaps. You know, <laughs> you wouldn't say, Oh, that that's Trey you know, two quarterback system there. Um, I, I think that 
you put in packages for special players, and I think Dart can do some special things. I think eventually he's going to be an elite quarterback. He's yeah. showing yeah. that you know, and especially if he keeps that confidence, you know, the ability to bounce back. Now he's got to make a, he's got to correct some things, and, and Graham Harrell said that as well. He said they've got to correct a lot of things on the offensive side, including Jackson. Uh, he said you know that that throw over the middle, you can't make that, and I think that's one of those learning experiences because you might can make that in high school. Yeah, you might have enough arm strength where just the they're not as fast, and you may be able to fit that window. But you you learn that that you can't do that. He's got to cover up the ball better, running the ball and stuff. He needs to learn how to slide probably too. Yeah, we have, have to work. Gonna have to work work on that one. Um, but the yeah, arm he, strength is pretty good though. The arm strength was there, and and I think the confidence, and that's something. So Keenan Slovis, he had that as a freshman. You know, he lost no. it last year. Is it going to, you know, is he ready to battle in the competition? So I think it's his job to lose. And I think you would start out with him if, if everyone is healthy on Saturday. I think you start out with him. But there's the potential of a quick hook. And with someone who's struggled with their confidence a little bit, yeah. how much is that going to press on him? That, right. you know, there, like, there's I a lot score of. I got to touchdown on the first series or I'm going to get benched, you know? Yeah. And, and that's one of the things is Keaton Slovis and Dante Williams pointed out. So he said that. What makes Keaton Slovis special is that he's like a coach on the field. He, you know, is, is so intelligent on the field with everything. He uh, makes the right reads all the time, and and that's what is the difference right now between a veteran Slovis and Dart. Is that Dart's not going to make all the the right reads every single time. He might miss a read, but then he might also make a guy miss, and then find someone else on the you know on the scramble uh, drill. So, you know, it, there's two different skill sets there, and I think both of them can contribute. I think slow, in my opinion, slowest is the starter until proven otherwise. Yeah. Here's the thing that's funny, real quick, Keely, get your thoughts on this too. And, and Shotgun, sure. we've seen USC quarterbacks sort of like, it's like a, a peak. It's like you're starting off pretty yeah. good. And then there's like this regression. It's like the more coaching you get, uh, what was it? I forget. It was even like years ago. Um, it might have been like uh, when it was like, uh, man, uh, Max. Max not, Wittick. Max Wittick, like, came in and, like, played well. And then he had, like, a week of practice and he looked terrible, like, after that. I think it was, like, the Notre Dame game or something. Um, Like, it seemed like the more coaching that the starting quarterback got, like, the worse they were getting. I'm not saying that's the case, but it just seemed like that's something that's been happening around USC. Like, just throw him in and, like, like, just slow us, like, his freshman year. Like, he didn't expect to play. Just throw him in. Boom, he's great. And then you're like, oh, let's coach him up. Like, okay, now he's worse. Like, what happened? I think as freshmen – it's easier, actually, Brock Huber pointed this out. You know, he played quarterback, so he has pretty good perspective on this. It's easier to go in when someone gets injured as the backup versus as a freshman rather than having the week and knowing you're going to start and you're thinking about it and, like, I got to do this, I got to do this. Whereas, like, you get thrown in, someone to Alex Stadhouse in that Stanford game, <laughs> someone's like, dude, you better grab your helmet. You're, I think you're going to have to go in. Yeah. And you're like, all right, let's go. And you just go do, and you don't overthink everything. And yeah. that's a danger with freshman quarterbacks in particular is that you know you start adding more game plan. You start adding, doing everything else, and you start going, okay, I got to remember to do this. I remember that. And like, does it weigh on you and become a burden? Or do you play fast and loose? And Jackson Dart looks like he's a guy that will play fast and lose. Yeah. yeah. Remember uh, Matt Fink, like, does amazing in the Yolo, Yolo game. Yeah. Yolo, Yolo raid. raid. Then he starts at Washington and, like, throws three picks or whatever. Like, And also there's a difference. When you come in off the bench and the other team has no tape on you versus yeah. suddenly, you know, they're prepared for that read option or they're prepared for, for what you do well versus what you don't do well. Well, that's my question for you, too. I'm going to pull you. In your opinion, what had the biggest impact on USC's offensive improvements on Saturday? One, offensive adjustments. Two, 
Dart's skills slash Wazoo not having any tape on him, really, or Wazoo just not being a great team. I mean, can I go? I mean, there's a little bit of all of that, but I would yeah. say Dante Williams had probably even the biggest influence of just like, hey, you know, they this is going to be a different sort of team. And seeing, you know, hey, Jackson Dart's going to be in there and just let him go and, and you know, YOLO it up and just like go out there and, and make a bunch of plays. I think all of that were contributing factors. I don't think Washington State's that good. USC threw all over them last year too. Um, you know that was their best offensive game. I, I would you could argue, but uh, I yeah I think it's sort of like a combination of those things. But having Dart just coming off the bench and really having all the confidence in the world, not giving a crap. Like I'm going to go out here and ball. Like I might never get to play again. I'm going to go ball right now, and he did and just balled out, and it was great. And but I think. Dante Williams sort of set that up this week with like the no nonsense stuff and even calling out Jackson Dart saying like, Hey man, you know, no one's wearing sleeves. Dart wore a sleeve and he fumbled. Like he basically attributed to Dart didn't follow our protocols and he fumbled. So don't do that. Like not like Dart wore a sleeve and he threw for 391 yards. He's like Dart wore a sleeve and he fumbled. So I think Dante Williams probably was the biggest influence and in all that. I don't know if a Clay Helton coach team, if it's, you know, if he had retained his job and you put Dart in the same situation, the team around him is going to respond the same way as they did with a week of Dante Williams kind of getting them ready. And uh, and Dart is a guy that's going down and like hyping people up and try, telling everybody, let's go type of thing. But no one after the game went, yeah, at high, halftime, everything changed because Jackson Dart got up and made a speech. No, everyone said Dante got on everybody. <laughs> but then uh, Vic Soto told me uh, when Dante says everyone turn up, everyone turns up. Uh, so that, you know, he said that momentum play going into the half was huge, and everyone mentioned that. But Dante at halftime really got them up, and they came out with their hair on fire and, and played terrific in that third quarter. It was the best quarter they played in several years, I think. Even yeah. better than the Washington State first quarter uh, last year. Um, similar because your defense creating turnovers, offense is scoring, quick strike. Uh, so, you know, it, it was great to see them actually play to their potential for once. And that is USC's potential. That's what they should be able to play to, or at least somewhere close to that, for four quarters. And Dante Williams said, hey, it was great to get a win, but we only played a half of football. Yeah. So we got a lot of things to improve, and, and that's what they'll be working on this week. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, he was asked specifically, well, what things do you want to improve? And he said, well, we had five penalties in the game. That's five too many. And so they're actually bringing refs back for Tuesday and Wednesday's practice. And that's something we usually only see during fall camp. So to bring them back and have that authority to do so, I thought was really interesting. Yeah. I think just doing anything different. What I mean, there was a lot of, we don't need to get into the Clay Hilton criticism stuff, but there was this routine that just was sort of like, here's what we do. We do this. We do this. We have this many practices. We have this number left. And it was just sort of like almost checking boxes off. And these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. And one of the things Harvey Hyde would always say was just sometimes you just look around like your team and like they're not responding to something. So you do something different. Like if you had to do full pads on Wednesday where we never do full pads, just switch it up. Do something completely different and you're going to get the kids' attention. And like putting – uh, you know, ropes around the logo so no one walks over it, like things like that. And great report, by the way, Keely, heading Thank into you. the uh, about the accountability stuff. All that stuff, I think you get get people's attention. Hey, you can't wear hats and hoodies anymore. Now, him, Dante Williams, wearing a suit at the post game press conference, like pre game like warm ups as well. Look like an NBA kind of thing. So yeah, well, I mean that's early, great. early, early getting off the bus. Yeah, yeah. Because when he was actually the the warm ups as they were you know getting loose, 
It's like, where is Dante? No one can find him. All the photographers are like, do you see Dante Williams anywhere? Because he had the the gator pulled up almost to his eyes. Like you basically, he was like a ninja out there. He just had a hat down low. You could barely tell. He was really focused in. Um, and you know, he had to change into that suit because he got drenched in the locker room. And that shows uh, you the sure. players, you know, kind of rallying around him as well, which is something we expected because of the relationships he has with all those players. But after the game, he got doused pretty good in the locker room. Some Gatorade. Yeah, so, you know, I think that, you know, Jasper pointed out a good point, and, you know, I think Dart had a huge impact. But he said, I thought Gary Bryant was the catalyst to things breaking open for the offense. He was getting open and eventually got London one-on-one coverage. Yeah. And, you know, part of that was their defense was we're going to pressure – leave those guys on islands, and they had a lot of confidence in the former USC signee, actually, Jalen Watson, was coming from a JUCO, you know, couldn't get into school, um, and ended up at Washington State, and he got beat up pretty good by, by yeah. Drake London, and then, to put the cherry on top, Kyle Ford catches the touchdown pass on him as well. Props to my boy. <laughs> one last question about the Two offense. snaps, one touchdown. Before, <laughs> before we get into uh, the defense, I want to talk about the defense. We had said last Tunnel Vision, we were actually surprised and impressed by what we've been seeing from USC's offensive line, and yet it seems like they took a step backward against Wazoo. Shaka, what did you see uh, on the field? Ha- what happened there? Rewatching, I had a much better uh, idea because I was paying, paying more attention to the offensive line. Uh, you know, there were a couple where you know John Monheim was getting beat by speed off the edge, struggled a little bit with that. But the main issue for USC's offensive line was they struggled to communicate with twists and stunts and basically switching over who you're supposed to be you know, blocking and trading off and stuff. And they also struggled a little bit when, when there were pressures coming, identifying where the pressure was coming. And, and I think Washington State did a pretty good job of disguising some of their, their blitzes and whatnot. But there were times when USC would shift their, you know, the blocking to the right a guy drops out into a into a zone coverage, and the the blitzer comes off the other edge yeah. uh, because they're bringing six and seven guys up the line, dropping some guys and bringing other guys. So that's something they got to work on. They got to get cleaned up. Uh, that starts with Brett Nealon. You know, he's he's the center. He's the one that everyone's looking for to make those calls initially. Everyone's helping out with that, but it's on him to to make the primary call. So you know, you got veterans on that offensive line. They got to play a little bit better and you know step up. And I'm not as concerned about the running game, like I said, because I think that's the game plan you were get from Washington State, that if they're going to play you man-to-man, Stanford's going to play you man-to-man in 2019, then you're going to throw the ball out to the, the wideouts and, and go, you know, you know, go let Jackson Dark, go let Keaton Slovis make their plays. And I wanted to point out, I, I mentioned this to Keeley uh, last night, um, you know, think back to 2019. If JT Daniels would have had a sprained knee instead of a torn ACL, you know, and he's ready to come back at the Stanford game. Everyone had been like, "No, Keaton start- Slovis is going to start." If you wait a week later and he's ready to come back after the BYU game, <laughs> is everybody going, "Oh, Keaton Slovis"? You know, and there's no way he can start over JT Daniels. Yeah, and like that's how quickly things can switch. So, how is Jackson Dark on a fair when he sees all zone coverages yeah. and everyone trying to drop back and you know, keeping a spy on him so he can't run? So there will be, you know, if he plays, uh, if he gets another start, if Keaton Slovis is not able to go or whatever it is. They will be focused on him. Their attention will be on him. It'd be a much different game plan versus getting thrown in there as a backup. Yeah, I think um, as far as the offensive line goes, yeah, I think you're trying to fix some problems. And Dante Williams talked about that on the press conference. He's like, yeah, that that's not going to happen. We're going to fix all this stuff. Uh, but I don't think that. I think Clay Houghton kind of got too caught up in. We saw LSU score a whole bunch of points. They threw a bunch of yards, but they ran for 170 yards a game. So they sort of like just pick these arbitrary numbers and try to hit like goals and things. And just like, that's not the way, like if the flow is going, 
I, what was it? The USC Rose Bowl game where like they were doing a pretty good stuff in the run and 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 Pete Carroll just like throw the ball all over the field. Like just like you know, and all they did was throw the ball in the second half and just absolutely throttled them. Like if if that's what's going to work, do it. Like I don't think you need to go. Well, we need to make sure we get 170 yards rushing because that's a key to six, like an offensive key or something. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So I like the way they did things. If, if the run game's working, great. If not, and you're just throwing the ball over the field, just throw the ball over the field. If you can't throw and you can only run, just keep running at them. I mean, I just do what's working yeah. and not worry about, like, we have to hit these milestones or whatever. Yeah, if they put nine guys in the box because you have a stout running game, then you throw the ball. Yeah. If they put nobody in the box, then you run the ball. Yeah. I mean, that's... <laughs> It's, it's kind of they're like, well, we have over, to do this we overly do simplistic, this. but yeah. you know they, that goal last year was I think 170 yards. They they ran for that in the first two weeks. Would you say the offense looked better yesterday when they didn't run the ball well, yeah. or those first two games? Yeah. Put up more points. So exactly. I mean, 45 works. straight points. Remember there. my thing: points. Just put up points. I don't care what you do. Just put up points. And a big part of scoring 45 points is finishing in the red zone. Yep. And defense, which I want to talk about next, uh, thanks to Drake Jackson and uh, Tui Peloti, right? Shotgun, that was Tui, yep. Yep. Um, it was really interesting. I think the main question we wanted to ask the defense in the post-game interviews, what adjustments were made in the second half? And the funny thing was that they were kind of like, nothing much, really. I mean, I talked to Chase Williams. He said that they tried to disguise their blitzes better. But other than that, they were like, we just had to settle down and stop pressing. I thought that was kind of ironic, Shotgun, because we were not expecting that. Yeah, I think that you look at now watching the film, there's a little bit, or watching the broadcast over, a little bit of adjustments made, but no wholesale changes. They didn't go because they played quarters defense pretty much the entire game, which seven DBs on the field. Chase Williams was playing that kind of faux linebacker position, like Isaiah, like uh, excuse me, Talanoa Hufunga did last year. And I thought he played he played much better as the game progressed because I think he started understanding what Washington State was trying to do. And once he did that, like that tackle on Max Borhe right before the strip sack, you know, they try to run the ball up the middle and that's, you know, they had been having success with basically that same play early in the game with Borhe. Uh, he'd run for a good amount of yards in that first quarter, stops him at the line of scrimmage, maybe a tackle for loss. Next play, Drake Jackson comes around the edge because it's second and 10 quarterbacks looking to make a throw, you know, gain some more yardage, get, get out of the, you know, the, the shadow of the goal post instead. He gets to walk to the sideline and then come right back out because he gave up a touchdown on the defensive side. But I, I think that Chase Williams played a lot better there. And I thought that there were some small things they did where they brought the defensive ends a little bit in because initially they were really wide and the defensive ends were holding the edge. So they're getting out wide and they're just kind of running inside of them and asking those safeties to feel a little bit more. Well, you know, use those big bodies a little bit more to, to, to create the, the initial line of defense and then have the safeties get outside. So it, there was some subtle adjustments there, but really that's what all the defenders said is like, you know, we, we just basically started doing our assignment. And I think, again, it goes back to everyone's pressing a little bit and yeah. trying to do a little bit too much. Like, let me do my job and let me give an extra 25%. You know, and that's what you can't do. You can't say, oh, if I can do my job and help him out doing his job, just focus on your task, do your job. And if all 11 guys do that, then that's when the defense should work. That's when the offense should work. Um, you, you can't worry about everyone else at the time. You just got to focus on yourself. Yeah, they seem like to settle in a little bit more, Keely, I would say, for sure. Um, it definitely helped that the offense got a spark. And I think that sparked, you know, getting that goal line stance was a big one. Maybe that led to the Gary Bryant touchdown. And then you got some momentum. And I think Washington State started to press a little bit once the tide had turned. Like they were coming out, you know, hitting. And, you know, Jaden Laura gets banged yeah. up a little mm -hmm. bit. I, I thought they got away from Max Borgie, who was really successful yeah. early on. That was weird. A lot of criticism of Nick Rolovich and the way he's handled things. They've done a lot. They've done a lot. They've peaked and then they've like kind of petered off. I mean, when they lost the 
to Utah State, they gave up like 15 points in the you know in the fourth quarter or whatever. So we've seen this from from Washington State a little bit as well, sort of like a reverse of what we saw from the USC game uh, last year. But overall, I think you know the effort was good, and you know maybe it was just sort of a feeling out period to to start the game. But there's going to be different circumstances, situations. Uh, the defense has to come up and, and and play well for whoever you know the other side is going to be quarterback wise. Because um, Dart's going to see some different coverages, you're going to see different things. No one really knew, you know. BYU sort of set that, like, well, we're going to do this and see what happens. And um, Dart's going to see some of that stuff too. So if if he ends up starting or whatever, so yeah, mm -hmm. I, th I think it was good that the defense put in that kind of effort, but it just took a little while, I think, to settle in. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, took a little while. USC recorded zero sacks in game one and two, but three on Saturday. Shotgun, what was different about USC's pass rush? I mean, Drake Jackson just beat a guy, um, and there was a backup quarterback who didn't feel the pressure. That was one of the things that, that changed in this game as well. Delora got banged up. Now he came back in, throws an interception to, to Kalen Bullock. But, you know, I, I think that when you come in, you've only been in for a series, you, you're not getting necessarily the feel of how quickly that a guy like Drake Jackson comes off the edge. But they brought pressures from all different areas, so their three sacks were a defense lineman and Drake Jackson, terrific play, just blowing by a guy, making the huge play, two to blow to really aware on that play. If you watch the replay, sees the ball come out and dives in and gets it and steals it away because the quarterback had his arm on it. Tule steals it away, so it's a touchdown instead of seven points versus two points. Um, but then the other two sacks, the first one of the season was Kanai Malga on, yeah. a, on a pressure, and that was also Drake Jackson. Rewatching that, Drake Jackson's on the opposite side. They drop him into coverage. All the, the blocking goes towards his side because that guy's a menace. We've got to block him. Well, then they bring pressure and multiple guys from the other side. He comes free, wide open, makes, gets the sack. And then the third one was Jalen Smith, a safety, a nickelback. So, you know, you're from all, all three levels. And I think that's when this defense is going well is that they're bringing pressures that confuse an offense from different places. So you're getting different guys are getting there to the pressure or getting pressure because they're not getting a ton of just, you know, their defense linemen just manhandling the offense line. Part of that is Nick Figueroa's not out there. Uh, Corey Foreman had a couple of nice rushes. He still hasn't got to. He was slipping all over the place, too. Yeah. Uh, he was slipping and sliding as he tried to cut uh, to get to that the second move. But I saw some positive things from him. He got a lot more run this game. He got a couple uh, tackles, I think. So yeah. we'll see. And the, the first one he had was just a uh, – it'll be on our film study, but it was just a man play. He just pushed the offensive lineman away with one arm and then went and made the tackle with the other arm. Uh, you know, type of things that you don't normally see true freshman in their third game kind of doing. But yeah, Man they, they got to do a little bit better just individually too to continue building on that. Um, so I, I think Tulu Tupelo to, you know, whoever's on that at that defensive tackle position and then getting Nick Figueroa back, I think it will definitely help that too. One more question from me before we dive into commenter questions. Uh, special teams. That's an area we've been critical of so far this season. I feel like they took a step forward against Washington State. Ryan, what did you see? Yeah, it was better. It was good. I mean, just sort of was like, and I don't know if that's going to come back to the the Dante Williams thing as well, but it just seemed like, you know, there wasn't, there were was some accountability problems with special teams through the first couple of games. There was a big play. What was it? Uh, the half? Was it coming out of the half? Gary Bryant, Greg Johnson. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, you want to see the big play without like a bunch of negative plays and I feel like you were able to get that you get you know you want to at least be even and I think for the first couple of games USC was below average on special teams you weren't even they didn't give up huge plays but there were some you know there was a play that cost them four points in the Stanford game but this was definitely more of a helping out with field position more making some positive plays and helping the team overall I think you're if you continue on that line 
you'll get a game where you break you break a touch you make a touchdown or whatever on special teams, a uh, huge return, things like that. Um, but I think you just need to get to the point where you're not hurting yourself. You're not giving yourself worse field position as a as a team because of some poor special teams play. So to me, I think maybe the accountability helped special teams and, and you know made it so it was a positive uh, group. Still some small details got to be cleaned up. Sure. They had to burn a timeout because they try to they keep the defense on, their punt return safety look. You know, the defense stays on except one of the safeties comes off and the returner goes out, return everyone out there. So there's a miscommunication or whatever it was. Gary Bryant never got on the field, so they had 10 guys, so they called a timeout. So there's small things like that. They've got to get cleaned up, and it's actually been that punt return safe unit has actually been the one that's cost them two timeouts the last two weeks. So that one in particular, they got to get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Overall, what did you think of Dante Williams' debut? I know he's critical of him himself. He said that there there's mistakes he made, things he needs to clean up. Uh, I think he's just holding himself accountable. But what did you think overall? That's an interesting position to be thrown into. Monday, your head coach gets fired, and and Saturday, you're making your head coaching debut. Yeah, you're the cornerbacks coach, like, and you now are the head coach of a team. You have to deal with the media. You met with the media multiple times. You're running practice. You're figuring out your position. You're figuring out the defense. You're figuring out the offense. Yeah, I think that was uh, A+. plus. I mean, what else are you going to do uh, but score 45 straight points and slaughter an opponent on uh, you know, on their, their home turf? So, I, yeah, I don't know what else. I mean, I don't think Washington State's that good, but if you're going to make a debut, like, be hard to beat that one. I mean, it had the potential to go south very fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, when they went into the half, I was surprised that the score was what it was because if you just looked at the play, it didn't look good for USC at all. Yeah, no, it could have been 21 nothing easy. Yeah. yeah. They got the fourth, the first and goal at the one, get a stop, you know, stuff them, uh, turnover on downs. Now they punt the ball away and end up, you know, or punt or fumble, I can't remember, but they end up scoring after that. But then the defense started making those adjustments, and Dart had, you know, even after he injured his knee on the, if you get, if you remember, the knee injury came on the drive that he sc- they scored the first touchdown on, um, you know, so they went on a drive, they put it, put together things, and just started slowly building. And the thing was, they never fell apart. They never yeah. had their heads down. You know, that could have easily been the case. Like, oh, here we go again from last week or whatever it may be. Like, this is the same thing. It doesn't matter that the head coach change. There could have been, you know, especially in drizzly weather and, you know, the guys who aren't playing in particular, it gets cold on the sideline and you're just like, what is going on here? That type of thing could have happened, did not happen in that game throughout that first quarter, even though Washington State was moving the ball pretty well and whatnot and the offense was struggling to get going. So that was important. I think Dante Williams was terrific off the field, all the, all, you know, through the week, preparation, halftime speech, all that stuff. He's still he's still learning on the job as far as the on field when to call a timeout when to do and he you know he admitted that he said that's the type of things I've got to work on he's never done it before he said I should have ran out to to midfield and called a timeout you know the, right before the uh, I think the first interception they had a delay a game penalty he said I, sh- I was trying to call a timeout and yep. I couldn't get a ref's attention he said so he's got to be more forceful so there's small things like that that he's that's a learning on the job type of thing um, so which is what you what happens with an interim coach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Already, let's jump into some questions. First one is from Mark on Facebook who said, does it still worry you that USC can't run the ball well? We talked about that a little bit. I mean, it's that was, you know, the Washington State game plan more. So it's something that Dante Williams said he's going to address. Uh, we'll see how they do against Oregon State this weekend, but I wouldn't say it's too concerning. We got a question on YouTube from Andrew who said, do you guys think that SC can still make a run at the Pac-12? Did yeah. you watch the South yesterday? Yeah, I was just saying. <laughs> USC is the only team in the South that won. Um, 
Yeah. Arizona lost to Northern Arizona as a 26 and a half point favorite, I think it was, or 16 and a half. We didn't even have a line when we picked the game earlier because it's an FCS school. And it's an FCS school that was 0 and 2 in the FCS. It wasn't like Montana, which is actually a pretty good FCS school. This was a bad FCS school that Arizona lost to. Arizona State had like 19 penalties. They had three straight false starts. Keely and I were watching that game while we were having dinner, and three straight false starts down by. Uh, and they had a big interception. They give up a fumble on the interception that would have been a game changer. Like, Arizona State did not look very good. BYU looks like the team to beat in the Pac-12 South. Yeah, so USC's <laughs> got to beat. But that, that's or, not going to count. It won't count for the division, even though BYU's 3-0 and in the Pac-12 right now. So. Yeah. Or Fresno State. You know, They look pretty good in the Pac-12 right Fresno now, Fresno State's pretty good. Should have uh, won that Oregon game. Yeah, I think UCLA's still going to be tough. Utah's rough road, 1-2. and two, But I think they're going to be pretty tough as well. But, you know, it's... Uh, I think it's still USC's to lose in the South now. The way you know, I think they've righted the ship. They got through the the Stanford storm, and now I mean, like they're probably going to be favored the rest of the way. Still, like, maybe out, not at Notre Dame, but the rest of them, I bet you they will be. Interesting. Fat Bank wanted to know why did Chris Steele sit out only one play after that unnecessary roughness penalty? Dr. Williams talked about that. He like he looks you in the eye and it's like, if I need to sit you for a play or a quarter or a, a game or whatever, he must have just I don't know. But what, I don't know what you think. Part of it is you get seven DBs on the field. And, yeah. you know, who are you putting in? Jaden Williams, I thought, played really well at the cornerback spot. He was on the outside often. Chris Steele was actually playing inside in a slot role uh, a lot of the time in that game. So, you know, are you putting in Prophet Brown or Sierra Wright early in that game when you're struggling on defense? I don't think that's necessarily the move you want to do. You make your point. And then, or Josh Jackson, you know, another guy who's inexperienced. Are you, are you making, you make your point? Get on them, and then try to get them back out there. Yeah, and you know, the, Chris Steele had no more penalties. He had no more. There was no showboating or anything from him yesterday. I never saw a time where I was just like, "Why are you doing that?" Which actually did happen in the Stanford game. So, yeah. um, I, I think that the message got across. Yeah, and uh, you know, Chris Steele may have explained himself really well to Dante. Who knows? Um, but he sat him out and put him back in there. Dante even pulled out Liam Jimmins. You almost never see a lineman come out in the middle of a drive unless there's an injury. Yeah. And he said, false start, especially. And that, I think that sets the tone for the entire game, for the entire rest of the season. That's the very first drive of the offense. He says, Liam Jimmins, that's not acceptable. Takes him out. The next play, Keaton Slovis gets sacked and gets injured. So <laughs> it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't the, it wasn't that, the right yeah. guard's fault there. But yeah. And. On the Chris Steele play, it kind of looked like it was just a boneheaded thing because you could kind of tell he like pulled up a little bit. Like he knew immediately that he made a mistake and he said he went to the sideline and talked to Dante and, and basically admitted that he has a physical style of play but needs to be smarter. So I think that was a, a one and done type of thing. Uh, Gorilla on YouTube said, should Kyle Ford start opposite of London? Should USC's starting three wide receivers be Ford, London, and Gary Bryant? He only got two plays for it was two plays yeah because the, they came in and i was like they didn't they it would be great to see them run the ball and actually you know put it in they were like eh, let's just throw it deep and i yeah. was like i guess that works too <laughs> uh, and i think the the kneel down i think that was it man yeah so, so true one uh, no actually i take that back he played earlier in the game he came in and he blocked on a run play so okay that's the second play. so i don't think he's gonna be starting if he only played like two or three plays um unfortunately but you know I'm I'm a big fan. Look, uh, did score touchdown. He and Josh um, and John Jackson the third both have every opportunity they've gotten so far this year. They've made the most of it. Yeah. John Jackson had I think two catches and he had a third one where 
you know, he was out of bounds. He was sliding to try to make the catch, and, you know, they called the penalty for illegal touching. But goes down and makes the catch. And not, a, not an easy catch there. So those guys continue to make plays. And, you know, if they continue to do that with even the little tiny opportunities they're getting, I think that eventually works their way in. Because, I mean, you just have to. They're kind of forcing them way, their way in now, even though we think they probably should get, you know, more opportunities than they have so far. Yeah, and I think you, you said it well, like that Gary Bryant touchdown – London is going to be the decoy guy. And if they're going to double him, if they're not going to double him, okay, we can dump it off to him. But if not, we have a couple of options, Gary Bryant, Taj Washington. Like, so you're giving yourself, like, if you trust all those guys, you're not just like, okay, no matter what I'm throwing to, to Drake London. Well, the safety dropped on him. He's got two or three guys on him. We're going to go somewhere else. And the fact that Dart's a true freshman was able to do that and diagnose, you know, go to these other options and see, okay, are my main guy that I know I can throw to and he'll catch it no matter what. And he had a record day that day. I'm still going to hit Gary Bryant Jr. down the, the seam here and uh, and get a touchdown. So I think that's great that they were able to, to do that. One thing that I forgot to mention about adjustments. One of the things the offense did. They started out the game in four wides, uh, and, and you know one of the things they made an adjustment is they brought the tight end in. They kept the running back in to block and did a lot more three man routes instead of four and five guys. Uh, just extra blockers because they were struggling to, to stop that pass rush. So give Jackson Dart a little bit more time. And when they were keeping guys in, Washington State was like, all right, we'll bring an extra guy instead of, you know, five guys, we'll bring six. And, and you know, that opens the field up as well to Jackson Dart. So now you don't have a guy over the middle. You don't have Daniel Isom over there. And, you know, you throw it and never see him. And he picks off the, that first pass from, from Jackson Dart. So that was one of the adjustments that USC did make. We got a question from Jonathan on Facebook who said, Chris Steele's obviously USC's starting field corner, but I think we need another boundary corner because for me, ITS is not getting it done. Do you think Sierra Wright is going to get more of a look or Josh Jackson? Did Isaac Taylor Stewart give up many catches? I don't I didn't remember think any. He did. Uh, I don't remember him not playing well. Um, he was targeted twice and gave up zero receptions. So I'm going to go with not this week. That's a good comment maybe for last week, but not this week. Yeah. Yeah, um, we were almost at the top of the hour, so I'm going to actually move us into rapid-fire mode. Nice. Also, Facebook, love that you guys are having com conversations with each other, but if you have a question, if you write question ahead of it, it will help me kind of see you, see your question. Uh, we got another question from Andrew on uh, YouTube who said, SC's offense always looks good against Washington State. What upcoming defense will bring Harold back down to earth? I mean, it, potentially any of them. I mean, there's... We have to see this team perform well week in and week out. Just doing it once against Washington State doesn't mean everything's fixed and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, they're, the offense was struggling the first couple of weeks. So, I mean, playing Utah, playing Notre Dame, uh, playing Arizona State. I mean, there's teams that are going to be on there. BYU for sure. Um, yeah, I think you're going to get challenged. But you can get challenged by anybody. It's just if they play a different coverages and you kind of confuse things. I mean, yeah, I think there's potential. You have to – the offense is going to have to keep playing well, and that's what – you're hoping Dante Williams is able to do is keep this team up week in and week out, no matter who the opponent is. Yeah. Yeah. BYU at the end of the season, since it worked so well two years ago, we'll definitely at least start in that and see how it works. They look legit. It's like, going to be like a, a revenge game. Can Harrell uh, succeed against the BYU blueprint? And potentially slow this. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's something they did actually a, a good amount against Arizona State when they got the lead late in that game, too. I don't know about the rest of the game, but they were dropping a lot of guys against Jaden Daniels as well. So th this is a question we got from Jasper Smith, and he said, did we get an explanation as to what happened with the airplane? If you didn't know, USC's <laughs> team plane tipped upwards once, like, the I think the balance went off a little bit, but Coley White 
apparently works with airplanes and provided an interesting explanation. He said, I've been with airplanes for decades. The Boeing 737-800 is known as the tip tail. Before loading or unloading, you put a brace on it. Some ramp personnel didn't do their job. Yikes. Oh. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, some of the uh, USC personnel were they were in the very back of the plane. I think almost all the players were off. Maybe there were one one left on there, um, maybe just a couple, something like that. But there were still personnel that were on the plane in the very back, kind of waiting their turn, as you do on an airplane, on their phone or whatever. And they're just uh, going, what's going on here? And uh, one of the people I talked to said that the, the – Flight attendant in the back was like, "Are, are we tipping? Are we? Did somebody put the? <laughs> did somebody put the brake on? Did, were we tipping here?" And that's what happened. They just slowly robbed back and said it hit pretty hard. Uh, but everyone came out with kind of good spirits, so you know it wasn't necessarily an omen for this weekend. Um, so. It was for the first like when it was fourteen nothing. It looked like it was, but yeah. no, that was the weather. The, when the weather was bad and drizzly and rainy, USC didn't play well, and the sun came out a little bit, and, then, and that's when USC came alive. We had a question from Kobe on Facebook who said, does this past weekend influence your opinion for how this team finishes the season? Yeah. I mean, it's not just the weekend. It was the week. It was, yeah. it, you made, the, you made the move. You made the move to Dante Williams. That's getting people excited. It's not just the fans, but the players. As many, you know, people shed tears, but this is, this is a new lease on life for just about everybody around the program. So, yes, that, that, the week leading up to even more so than the game. I think Keeley's article, I think that tells you a lot. And the fact that it was followed through on Saturday. And there's still things to work on, small things they got to clean up. But, yeah, I think that, that changes the way you kind of look at the, the rest of the season because it's like before it was like the same things happened over and over and again. That was the same thing with, with Helton's loss to, to Stanford. It's like we've seen this before and before and before. Yeah. And it sounds like there are being adjustments to the issues that they've had in the past are being made. Yeah, I also just like how realistic Dante sounds in his pressers. Like, he admitted, we only played one good half of football. We need to do that for four quarters. So at least uh, I feel like he's he's admitting the mistakes or at least addressing them to the media. Yes. We got a question from John on Facebook who said, Crew, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much confidence do you have in Mike Bone to make the right hire? That's a good question. I would say, I mean, I'm up there. Um, I mean, like, if it's comparative to what USC had in the past, it's like 12. But I would say, like, in general, like, I, I mean, I, I I think he's made some good ones. Um, but it's different when you're hiring Cincinnati or Colorado than USC. So I'm not going to say, oh, it's a 10. But I'd go like eight, eight and a half. I feel pretty confident. Um, but some of that does have to do with his predecessors, how terrible they were. Yeah, I'd go around an eight just because of, you know, the women's basketball hire and some of the other moves that they have made. Yeah. Um. Rick Reed said, since J JT Daniels lost the starting job due to injury, shouldn't the same standard be applied to Slovis? Except that's not what happened. Yeah, he's... He didn't lose the starting job. There was no competition. He was injured. He didn't play, and then he played. Yeah, he saw greener pastures at Georgia and went for it. Yeah. And he was going to be out, and Slovis was going to have that extra opportunity in the offense, and he's like, well, I can go to this other offense where all the quarterbacks are going to be brand new Yeah, and also be on a top-five team, so... I thought, he, I thought he was talking about at Georgia. No, if he's talking about here. Yeah, like that's what people are like. They they left JT Daniels. Like, no, he got hurt. Um, I mean, that's what it was. That's what happened. Oh, we got a question on YouTube from Charles who said, regardless of how the QB situation plays out in the short term, does Dart, i.e. having a visible uh, quarterback beyond this year, make USC more attractive to potential coaches or does that even matter because it's USC? 
Doesn't matter because it's USC. I don't know. I think that I think Dart was a little bit of a walking billboard on Saturday. You can you can market Dart or the yeah. future of USC's quarterbacks to a potential hire. If you're if you're an alpha head coach, you look at the USC situation and go, they're like Alabama, except there's no Georgia or Florida or LSU or anyone else around them. They don't gotta play Clemson. This is USC should dominate the West Coast if you just do stuff right. So I think an alpha head coach is like, that's great you got a Jackson Dart, but you got a lot of players all over the place. I think they look more of the potential of, if I come in there and do my job, within a year or two, we could be dominating West Coast football. I think that's where, it, where it's at. More than like, oh, Dart looks great. That's nice. I mean, that's cool. But I think you're saying, I, I can make this thing work. I can get as many darts as I want. I know? mean, you look at it and you look at the roster and say, there's a lot of potential on that roster. And Dart is one of those guys. You know, Miller Moss, I think, is one of those guys, too. Uh, you know, I think he's a quality quarterback as well. So, you know, there's plenty of young guys on this team. You go, I could do some I could do some fun stuff with those guys. Yeah. Corey Foreman, Ray John, uh, Davis, you know, all those guys that they brought in this recruiting class that just came in. You go, I could do some stuff with yeah. them. We got a question from Phil who said, did it, did it look like Dart was more willing to give covered receivers a chance compared to Slovis? I mean, what, what, what were people mm. so upset about in the first two weeks? Because no one was open. Because he was throwing to Drake London too much, um, and that's basically the exact same thing that, that Dart did. And no one's complaining that you know he's, he's throwing the ball too much to to Drake London here. Um, but part of it is there were more open receivers. There were more guys that were game. open. Yeah. Um, you know that was a big complaint. It's like when's the last time we seen a guy wide open? And I think you saw some of those in this game. We got a question from um, – I'm going to combine these two. So Jasper Smith wanted to know, if Slovis is ready to go, who will make the decision who starts considering he is Harrell's guy? So Dante Williams said on Sunday night um, that both Harrell and Dante will make the final decision. So that will be interesting to watch for. And then Andrew said, how does an interim coach go back to Slovis in front of – uh, go back to Slovis, meaning be the starter, in front of fans at the Coliseum. They will be chanting for his head in the first quarter. I don't think they'll be chanting for his head, no. but we have seen that USC fans will boo when they feel is necessary. I don't think He's it'll been be starting for it. Too, it's like, come on! Like I don't, I, I don't think it would be boos. I think there might be like a Jackson Dart chant or something. Yeah, yeah. And do you listen to that? No, you're not going to listen to the fans. You got to make your decision, you yeah. know, as, as a coaching staff <laughs> rather than because then. It, Every walk-on uh, or manager in high school basketball would have got put in earlier in a game. You know, <laughs> we want John. John yeah, they are, everyone cheers for that. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, and I think it's going to be like Dante's going to get the final call for everything. He's the head coach, so uh, if he wants Graham Harrell to start one guy over the other, it's good, that's probably going to be the way it is. They're going to talk for sure, and I'm sure Graham will give him his opinion. But at the end of the day, this is Dante Williams' team, so yeah, you know. We shall see. Yeah. Uh, JEC had an interesting question. He said, do you think that the failure to identify slash pick up pressure was because Keaton may be better than Jackson Dart at helping the O-line um, at, at his pre-snap reads? Can you say that again? <laughs> he said, do you think that the failure to identify slash pick up pressure was mm. because Keaton is better than Jackson Dart at helping the O-line identify uh, the pre-snap reads? It's a really good comment. I didn't, yeah. hadn't thought of that, but you know that is a, a possibility, and that's something that, that we should probably ask about this week uh, with the office linemen and see you know, how much does Keaton's – how much input does he give helping out there yeah. um, because that might be something, you know. First time, and like I said, Washington State was bringing a lot of guys and trying to bring a lot of guys up to the line of scrimmage and then drop a guy here or drop a guy there versus, you know, so they were trying to confuse USC. And I think they did sometimes. And USC had to adjust on their defensive side. As Keeley said, they did a better job of disguising some of their stuff 
because early it seemed like why well, you know Jaden Delora did a really good job of identifying and saying Isaiah Polamau's coming. He's coming from that side. Let's go that way. Yeah, and, and doing a good job of running away from the pressures. So um, I think that that's you know because he's a second year guy. He played all last year yeah. versus the the guy coming in as a backup. Maybe he wasn't identifying. That's where USC sacks came from against the, the backup guy. We got a question from John who wanted to know, do you think Keenan Slovis enters the transfer portal if he doesn't start going forward? He's going to wait till the end of the season before yeah. he does anything. So no, he'll no go use to the NFL, even worrying yeah. about having that conversation. Yeah, but I think he would just go to the NFL. I don't think he's going to the transfer portal. Not necessarily. You don't think? No, because he's got, I mean, he's got to prove himself. He's not 2019 Slovis. He's got to prove, you know, if he comes out and throws for 500 yards and – gets banged up uh, and then loses his job somehow, then yeah. But I, I think even so far the first two games, he still has to prove himself because his draft stock's not what it could be, at yeah. least. I got a question from Gary who said, what did the USC de- defense do differently on the blitz when Malga got the sack? Shotgun, I think you got I, into this a little bit. Yeah, I kind of pointed it out. But, you know, they used Drake Jackson as a decoy. And they've done this some, and people were – I think Brock Hewitt even mentioned it. And so because he mentioned it on the broadcast, it started popping up in my mentions. Like, Corey, I mean, Drake Jackson's got to stay on the line. Why are they bringing him? He doesn't drop into coverage very often. And usually when it's, he does, it's to disguise a blitz. Yeah, He drops into coverage because people shift their blockers over. We're going to put a tight end over there to chip him. We're going to keep the running back on that side. And they bring pressure from the other side. You saw the same thing. Raymond Scott had that big hit on Tanner McKee early in the game. It was the same thing. Drake Jackson was on the opposite side. They dropped him out. And so the Stanford line had all shifted, you know, their blocking to the right side. And you had two guys coming from the left. One of them got picked up, Chase Williams, and Raymond Scott had a free run. Same thing with Malga. They brought two guys. Malga had a free run and got the sack. We got a question from Brian who said, uh, did Solo get to play at all at linebacker? He actually made the trip but was not dressed out during warm-ups and did not play. Shotgun, I know you have the Solo rule. What does this mean now for your rule? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He was he was brought along, and he actually held up the uh, the big barrier that they yeah. had to keep Washington State's press box from looking at, which I thought was interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that. Normally, you, like you put the sheet up, or you hold, you know, get someone gets in the way while you're giving signs. So the opposite coach, because someone like Brett Venables is known as being really, really good at stealing signs that Clemson sideline, yeah. and then making a quick adjustment on the defense. Um, I don't think I've ever seen those. Like we're gonna keep the guys that are, you know, in the Washington State press box or you know in the coacher's box from from being able to use the binoculars on so that was interesting interesting indeed uh ryan close yes. your ears close your ears okay okay big t 37 said how about andy enfield and the basketball team enfield acting like a big boy school hires and recruiting not to mention the elite h run yeah so usc gets a another big time five-star commitment Vince Uachuku, I believe is how you say it. I'm, i got to work on that one and learn a little bit more. Big Vince, we're going to go with Good. Uh, for now. It looks very complicated. Um, but another five-star guy. He's originally from Texas. He's going to be playing at Montverde Academy in Florida this year. A little bit raw. Could be potentially a multi-year guy at USC. Don't think he's necessarily a one-and-done talent. So that's two big men that pro- probably aren't one-and-done talents, which means multiple years for USC fans to get it. And USC's got a couple other, you know, as Clay Helton used to say, big fish out there that they're trying to get. So... You know, Julian Phillips, a five-star guy that was on an official visit a couple weeks ago. Still got to check in with him um, because was, last week was so hectic that I have not had a chance to. Why was it hectic? <laughs> I averaged four hours and 35 minutes of sleep, according nice. to my, my yeah, phone. Yeah, I did not Rocks. get a lot of sleep. We got a good, interesting question from Gary on Facebook who said, I thought Xavier and Alfred looked very good. Which backups impressed you the most aside from Dart? Do you think any will push the starter in front of them? 
Xavier Alfred is a guy that I would have been normally when Keeley's on the sideline, like, man, watch that Xavier. He's making some plays. And I even told her when she was down at the end of the game, I was yeah. like, he's going to have four or five tackles. He ended up with six. Wow. Now, he played a, a couple of snaps throughout the game at different points uh, yeah. because they were subbing guys in and kind of rotating in those safety spots. But at the very end, he took advantage of it. I don't know exactly how many snaps he's played because I haven't got to the full participation, but that guy stood out to me, definitely. And he's a guy that, you know, he came in the spring and kind of got passed over by some of the, the other guys a little bit. So I, I think that he wanted to prove himself, and he went out there and made a bunch of plays. So he definitely stood out. Jalen Smith getting a sack. And, again, Jaden Williams, before the interception, I was going to say, man, he had a really good game because he was out there a good amount was targeted once or twice and didn't really give up much. So I was impressed with him. He's a guy that I did not have in, uh, expectations of him being a guy that could play that outside corner spot because in high school he was kind of a linebacker safety. Um, you know, he played more or more of a safety role, but uh, safety cornerback, kind of an in-betweener. I didn't think he was a true cornerback, and he's he's been making a lot of plays out there. So yeah. congratulations to him on you know making his way up and getting that first interception, first career interception. Kalen Bullock, same thing, first career interception. That was really cool. Of him, that man. was an amazing. He was excited. Yeah, that was a <laughs> terrific play too. I don't know if you guys caught the replay, but they were running a wheel route on it and thought that they had the guy wide open. He did a great job of flipping his hips, getting his head back, looking and spotting the ball, going up and making the play pushing the wide receiver to the boundary too, so uh, shrinking that space of where the wide receiver has room to go up and get, catch the ball. Just like perfect technique all the way through. And I noted Sua Cravens has been really big on, on Kalen. I think he mentioned it on the tunnel, the Trojans, uh, the tunnel vision uh, with you guys. Yeah. Um, and he's been tweeting about it. And he's, he, he mentioned after that, he's like, that was a terrific play. He's like, that, that boy got to be in 21 next year. <laughs> so a Cravens on over because Isaiah yeah. Palmau will be gone. So we'll see if there's a number switch in if the future for Caleb. Yeah, yeah. We shall see. He, he responded to that tweet with uh, with some eyeball emojis. So yeah, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Uh, John really wants this question answered on Facebook. He said, for all three of you, Saban and Dabo are not an option. <laughs> Don't think they were anyway. So thank you for the clarification. If you could pick any coach for USC, who would you take? I mean, I'd always go Urban Meyer, but like you know, he's a he's got a job. Uh, that that's definitely more realistic than a. But I don't think it's that realistic. But Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney. Um, I mean, I'm warming up to the James Franklin stuff a little bit more. I kind of like that. I know some people. You've don't. always been warm to that. You were never. No, I cold. wasn't. I don't think I was in the beginning. But uh, you know, but I like Matt Campbell a lot too. Just the fact that he's also Power Five. Um, you know, Luke Fickle, I think, would be good. I know some people have So you're just going to list every potential candidate we have on our hot board, right? <laughs> no, I'm just saying those those are my top three outside of like, I mean, Irvin Meyer is like the dream, but like outside of him, I, those would be the three realistic ones I would go for. I'll go with the guy that's the, got the, you know, is at the next tier from, uh, from the two that they mentioned. And, you know, I think that next tier is Lincoln Riley and, and uh, Kirby Smart at Georgia. So I think I would go with Lincoln Riley, though, because I just like offense more. <laughs> Shotgun, I don't know if you know this answer, so if not, just tell me. But Ulao Lao wanted to know, how many sacks did Dart avoid? I do not know this number off the top of my head, um, but... 50. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he only threw 46 times, yeah. so... Um, at least at least two, probably three or four, I would guess. Um, and now, Keaton Slovis would have made one or two of those miss two. People don't get him as much credit for you know the ability to make guys miss... You know, that spin move at San Jose State. He's done a couple of those type of things. He does a really good job stepping up in the pocket, Keaton Slovis does, to avoid sacks. But, yeah, Jackson Dart, you know, there. I think there were two for sure. 
But the more impressive was when he ran and just completely juked a guy out of his shoes. I like that. And that was it, he juked uh, Jaheed Woods, who's like a fifth or sixth year senior, you know, who makes a ton of tackles for Washington State. Just put his foot in the ground, went the other way. We got multiple questions about Brew McCoy, if there's any update. We say this every week, but it's still a university matter. It's not something that uh, Clay Hilton being gone changes. And we also got questions about Keenan Kristen. Um, I put an update in the war room a couple weeks ago about that whole situation, but I, I do believe on USC's uh, roster or game notes that they just sent out on Sunday night, he's listed as removed from team activities. So that's why you haven't seen him uh, at games and we haven't seen him at practice. So there's a little update there. We got a question from James on Facebook who said, speaking of rotating, how many wide receivers, tight ends caught passes? Did you feel more guys got involved in the rotation? What do you attribute attribute that change to? Yeah, way more guys got involved. Ten different um, pass catchers, six different receivers, three of those guys had touchdowns. Now, Kyle Ford was one of those and he only played one snap or two snaps, excuse me. So that wasn't huge, but... Seeing John Jackson get in there and make some plays, and Taj Washington and Malcolm Epps get get targeted a couple times down yeah. the field. Nice catch on that third down, you know, going down to get a ball. So yeah, they spread the ball around a little bit more, but I, I think partially that's because they had more open guys. Um, I think that makes it a lot easier to spread the ball around. I mean, there was the the Croman hook. Do you remember there was third down? I don't remember which t- touchdown it was in the third quarter. Maybe the the first one throws the ball over. The middle to Chrome and Hook, and there's like a bubble on the screen where there's just no Washington State defenders at all. And good, good by Jackson Dart of not trying to lock in on someone and finding that open guy. But there were some guys that were pretty wide open at, at times in that game, so that makes it a lot easier to kind of spread it around. Yeah, and that may be because Drakeland is really freaking good. Yes, we're gonna put a safety over top of him, and then if we're blitzing, that means there's a lot of space the other you know three fourths of the field. Yeah, when BYU was able to do that, they confused the USC front with like, you know, only bringing three or four guys. Washington State was bringing more guys, so there's less dudes in the secondary. If you can get pressure, you confuse guys with stunts and things with only, you know, rushing three or four, now you still got seven guys back there. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, a little more helpful for trying to stop the passing. It just fills a lot of space when there's seven or eight guys yeah. in coverage. Even if you're doing the wrong thing, you're still out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Lamont wanted to know, is there any way USC will hire Dante as permanent head coach if he wins eight or nine games? Everyone is already moving him back to his previous position. I see another Coach O situation coming. I, I think mean, it would take more than eight or nine, but there is a possibility out there. I you think. won one game. Like, I don't know if you want even like, you know, he's never been a coordinator before. Like that's, this is like, wait, I thought we were getting dart for Heisman shirts. Maybe I know exactly. Like this, <laughs> this one game, like I think it's a great, I said it was an awesome, a plus debut, but um, USC's made inexperienced coaching hires many times in the past. I don't think you can afford to do that. It would have to be something pretty damn special for you to, hire someone that's never even been a coordinator before. Just my opinion. Andrew said, how as dark- much as I like him, you know, sorry, Ryan. no, no problem. I, I think one of the things real quick uh, that could help him out is how much he progresses in that on field stuff that I talk about. How much of those things does he clean up as the season goes along? Is he making really good calls on when to go for it for the fake pun or something? Uh, you know, how that progresses could help his Candace's candidacy eventually. Uh, on that same Vane, John wanted to know on Facebook, if USC wins the conference, how do you not uh, move Williams to full-time? Because um, the conference you could win with three losses this year, potentially, with the way yeah. you, the, the Pac-12 How South do you wins. not? You, you hire someone that's experienced to do the job. That's, you know, that's how you do it. But that's going to be up to Mike Bone, you know. But you got to win it. Like, yeah, that, you got to set the bar higher than that. Um, yeah. 
it's nice. He's, I mean, he's doing great things so far. It's, it's awesome. You know, you want to see that. You want to see. But these are things that probably should have been done for the last six, seven years. I'm just going to say, if they win a national championship, he will get the job. I'll say that. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I'll go that far. I'll go yeah. that far. But, like, the, the Pac-12 South was one in five this past week. So I, I'm not going to say, well, they won the South. That's a great accomplishment. Like, no. It's not. It's also just going back to the Hilton era and those. Yes. Those, and like setting uh, low bars goals. and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Gary wanted to know, is USC going to have to wait for any active coach to finish their season before possibly hiring? Them? Probably. Because yeah. yeah. there's only really two candidates otherwise, Bob Stoops and Chris Peterson. Yeah. Unless Irv Meyer gets fired midseason. Anybody else that you want is not going to be fired and be available. Yeah. But it's not like, I don't think USC would start talking to Matt Campbell like after the bowl game. Like this yeah, would be yeah. something that's going to be back channeled and maybe like, mm -hmm. hey, we're going to hire him and he's either going to stay through the bowl game and then come full time, you know, whatever. So, situation like that, most likely. Paul wanted to know do you think when Dart banged his knee, did it calm him down a bit and force him to stay in the pocket more instead of run first? It's interesting. Interesting yeah. observation. Yeah. That's something I'll take a look at and just see. I don't think necessarily because he still was kind of moving around and um, maybe it kept him from taking off running versus scrambling to find a, a throwing option. Chris on YouTube wanted to know, will Dante move on to another head coach position if he does not get hired? Could be. I mean, it depends on how well they do. I mean, yeah. if he wins a bunch of games and USC doesn't want him, some other school might be like, that's our guy. Yeah. I mean, and he's already him. been very wanted prior to this, and this spotlight, I'm sure, is just going to up the ante. Not necessarily for a head coaching job. Sure. Though, as far but, as I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to, this is one game again. You got to wait and see how this plays out. And, and he, if USC hires somebody and they want to keep him on, do they have to promote him? Does he need, I mean, he was already associate head coach, right? Like, does he have to be the defensive coordinator for him to stay? Or would he go back to the previous role? Like, there's a lot of factors, and it depends how he does. You know, if they, if they go five and five or 10 games, it's going to be a lot different than if they go nine and one, you know. Andrew wanted to know how dark was the drive from Pullman to Spokane on the two lane road? <laughs> Shotgun called it murdery. Murder. I said it was the it was a good setting for a, uh, a horror film mm. with it with the rain coming down. And everything. Yeah, I said that we'd turn a corner and there'd be someone in the middle of the road, and then we'd be like <laughs> dumb people and get out and be like, "What's wrong?" And then we get murdered. That's how it happens. <laughs> so I was just gonna push her out and say, "Go check on them." <laughs> Lock a the true, doors. Protect a true him. True man. A true man. <laughs> All righty, guys. Shotgun. I know I probably missed some interesting questions. Anything you want to ask before we wrap this one up? Uh, you know, Coley always got to ask a, a Notre Dame question. He said, what's the biggest challenge left on the schedule, Notre Dame or BYU? Oh, I'm going to say BYU. Sorry, Coley. Wow. Uh, I mean, of those two, I would right now I'd go with BYU. Um, but Notre Dame's on the road. I think UCLA is still the biggest challenge, you know, any on, on, on the schedule. I'd I probably so. go – I'll go with Coley and Notre Dame. But, you know, they're they're not looking amazing every week, but they're just – they're going to beat you. And, like, that's on the road. So you got to figure out a way to win that game. Like, Brian Kelly figures out a way to win these games. Don't always have to look the prettiest. Go on the road and figure out a way to win that game. And a really big important question was, what about Dart's face paint, though? <laughs> yeah. Keely, what's the story on the face paint? So – Dart said that when he was in middle school, he saw uh, an LSU cornerback have just the one stripe. He thought it looked cool. He tried it for one game. It worked, and he's kept it ever since. So there's not some, like, deeper meaning, even though I would want to find that LSU cornerback and get his story on it. You know, the cornerback who inspired uh, Jackson Dart. But, no, it's nothing uh, super, super meaningful in I that I think sense. he can keep that. He just can't keep the sleeve. Like that's He had the... two – he had just full sleeves. He had okay. undershirt with sleeves. Okay. But – 
they didn't want that because the potential slippage there, but not just actual like a an arm sleeve. Um, and the last one that I had marked was uh, Mark Watkins said he's a question, but then he had a statement. Think WSU only dropped used drop eight once, and then he followed it with a question. How do you think Dart will do against it if he faces it more often? That's when Keaton really started to struggle when teams started dropping eight more. And yes, I think that is the big question because, especially against gunslingers, I can fit it in that window. Mm. And that's when you have you know the drop eight. There's so many guys out there. You have to be really patient. I thought Keaton did a really good job of that against Stanford, um, and that's why they were able to go on those 15-play drives because he was patient against that drop eight, which was what they did most of the game. Um, they just didn't finish in the, in the red zone. So if they did a little bit better than the job than that, could have been a different game. And it could be in this situation where Dart can take off and run. Yeah, um, great point. So great that point. would be uh, something you could do, and then you bring guys up and don't let them drop back into coverage. And who knows? If Keen Slovis ends up being the starter again, do they do some of that zone read stuff? And let, like we saw that one drive against Stanford where Slovis ran more because they know they have a capable backup and they're not worried about they're not putting like bubble wrap on Keaton Slovis. Maybe they are willing to use a few more things and let him, you know, he can run some too. Uh, not like D Dart can, but maybe they're willing to do that knowing that they do have a viable option behind him. I don't know. But I think I think you need to use that a little bit more in the offense because it was very effective uh, yep. when we saw Dart use yeah. it. Mark also said, Keely didn't pick a single one of my questions this show. I need a Dante halftime speech so I can step up my game next tunnel vision. <laughs> it's okay, Mark. She mentioned it, that she didn't like your questions at all, Mark. <laughs> that was, that was pre-show, though. She's that, like, Mark says has terrible questions. We're like, we like false. him. He's a nice guy. That's false. Oh, my gosh. Big troll Ryan Big is troll over here. alive and well. Shout out to you, Mark. I'm sorry. We'll try to fix it for you. <laughs> no, he usually has good questions. I'm sorry, Mark. It's just one of those days. Three hours of sleep. And I, I feel bad. Like, the computer crashed. It was going to put him up on the screen. We got one up on the screen that was it so, yeah we sorry. tried we tried our best Alrighty, this was our fourth tunnel vision of the week so thanks everyone for watching we appreciate you guys four and eight days yeah four sense. and eight days it's been that type of week shotgun you've been, you and i have been to washington and back it's been quite the week it's been an interesting week for sure but we love bringing the content to you guys thanks so much for watching and putting all your comments and questions guys any final thoughts before we wrap it up we'll be back on thursday to preview usc's matchup against oregon state now i did say last week that we'd be back on thursday i don't want to jinx it again so hopefully <laughs> we'll be back on thursday and not anytime earlier <laughs> oh yeah no emergency yeah. ones from now and yeah. then um yeah, no, I think uh, I think it's the initial, like, it was sort of like an earthquake. We had a big earthquake here the other day. It was just sort of like an earthquake and everything happens. Everything's shaking. Like, oh, my God, you're trying to figure out what's going on. Then sort of settled down, you know. There might have been a couple little aftershocks afterwards. But for the most part, everything was pretty calm now. Like, you got a game under your belt. It's going to be a full week of preparation for Dante Williams. Yes, we're going to have, like, the quarterback controversy stuff we're going to watch. But I think for the most part, it's going to be a little more business as usual. We know the way Dante Williams is working. I mean, he's... Quick, short, to the point answers. Not going to give a lot of fluff in there. I think some of that's kind of refreshing and cool. It gives you a chance to actually ask more questions. Used to like asking like one, and then um, previous coach would talk for a long time, and then you sort of have to move on. So I think that we're all sort of figuring this out as we go. But it's it's settled down a lot more than the craziness that was last week. Don't jinx it, Ryan. Oh, it's yes. USC though. So yes. by the way, yes. Um, my final thoughts are: I'm very interested to see what it looks like on Saturday. Uh, you know, so many people have said, I'm not going to another game until Clay Helton's fired. What will it look like on Saturday, especially coming off that second half performance, uh, that third quarter in particular? That's the potential this USC team has. Yep. Can they put it together and 
put multiple of those quarters together in one game. That'll be interesting to see as the season progresses. But I want to see what the what the Coliseum looks like on Saturday. You know, give some fans have something to cheer about now. Um, they don't have to complain nonstop. They've I think got, just with the dart thing, people want to come out and see him. We'll see. Um, they came out for Stanford and then just had to leave because it was terrible. Are they going to be back? And you're like, hey, this is going to be cool. You Another know? late night game. Here My we go. mentions are much more positive. They're like, we're coming. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, Shaka, one last question for you. Your review on Cougar Gold. Um, I just want to try all the flavors now. <laughs> um, What's Cougar Gold? Cheese from... Uh, from Ryan. the creamery up there. Okay. But I got something to bring home. Uh, one of my buddies. We couldn't make it to the creamery in time because Keely was getting ready. Oh, took too long, my you know. goodness. Mm. Don't even. That's the two-hour makeup session. That, that's so <laughs> false. I'm not even going to get into the details because I'll just sound like but a no, whining, solid, But no, solid cheese. Um, and you're very good. Tread the ace cheddar. Looking forward to the other one that I got at home now. Nice. Alrighty, people. If you can like this uh, episode, that would be great. If you could subscribe, that would be great as well. We love providing com content for you guys. But that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see you, hopefully, on Thursday. But we'll be on Thursday. Don't worry. Bye. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.